Well, there we go. Welcome to week three. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us. Thank you for not driving off the stage. It was a good morning. This is a group from our Lex City Riders, and uh, thanks so much for joining us. The first two weeks, I saw that intro video, and it kept wanting me to get on my bike, and so I said, my week, I've got to make sure that we get on the bike and roll. So, hey, if you ride and you want to join us, go to Facebook at Lex City, Lex City Riders, and we got a great group uh, that does that. You know, as we started this series, each one that has spoke has shared a little bit about an epic road trip on the road, and I was thinking about that in my life, had a lot of great road trips. One that has come to mind recently, it was 2018, I took a solo ride uh, through Route 66, so a round trip over 5,000 miles, did 11 states during that time. You can see a little bit of the, the route and the path that was there. And an interesting thing that happens is I'm heading west on 40, I, I see these signs, and you'll see it right here off the main road, and there's these little signs that say Route 66. And I quickly realized that this, I'm going to miss the route that I wanted to take if I don't pay attention to these signs. I think 40, it's a two-lane highway. It's nice. It's easy. It'll be fun. But if I want to see what I came to see, I've actually got to get on the right road. And I'm glad I did. If you've ever done Route 66, there are some iconic things to see along that road. And so here's just a couple of them from my trip a couple years ago. More than 2,000 miles all the way. Get your kicks on Route 66. 72 ounce steak, you can't go wrong there. Wigwam Motel, it's a fun place to stay if you've never done it. It ends right there at Santa Monica Bay, Route 66. Now, I would have missed a lot of those unique sites had I been on the wrong road. Even though I thought I was going the right direction on 40, I easily could have missed the, the right road. Today in our series, I, I want to share an, an event that happened on, on the road. Significant event that happened in a, in, a young, in a man's life that literally changed his life, but literally changed millions of lives throughout human history. In fact, this person, because of this encounter with Jesus on the road, uh, Super Bowl Sunday, we voted this person into our Mount Rushmore of most impactful Christians who have ever lived, if you remember there. He's written 13 books in the New Testament. I think he's probably the greatest theologian to ever live. His conversion experience was so dramatic that God changed his name. If you haven't guessed, I'm speaking of who today? The Apostle Paul and his journey that was on there. And I think what makes the Apostle Paul and his life so amazing and the impact for us today as we study it is that he almost missed it. He almost was on the wrong road. And the Bible says before he became known as Paul, he was known as Saul. And Saul, when we pick up the story today, we're going to see this. He was on the wrong road. He was heading in the right direction. Thought I was in Route 66, but he would missed the road and was in the wrong one that he's going. Now, listen, if you looked at the life of Saul, he was committed. Uh, he was devoted. 
He was passionate. In fact, everybody would look at Saul and say, man, this guy is the perfect model of what it means to live and to be on the right road in life. He was close. But today, here's the warning for us. He was close, but being close is a fatal mistake. And that's the situation that we find Saul in this way. And, and today as we jump into this, obviously we're not talking simply about missing a road so you can't get all these amazing knickknacks and t-shirts for $7 and see real fossils and all those amazing things on Route 66. We're talking about this idea of eternity. So today I want to begin our time. I want to ask you a question that the answer to the question, Saul would have answered the question one way. But then after coming in an encounter with Jesus, would have had the same question, and he would have answered it in a completely different way. And so here's the question that I want to ask to you. And as I ask this question today, can I just encourage you, don't, don't blow it off, take time and, and really process it. Because how you answer this question determines which road that you're on. And here's the question. I've asked it before many times. But if you died today... And you stood before God, and God said to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Again, don't fade off. It's, it's, it can be a more significant question in your own life. God says, why should I let you in? What, what would you say to him at that point? I propose to you this morning, it's so important, because literally... Eternity is at stake. So that's where we're going to head this morning. It should be a great journey together on the road. So if you've got your Bibles, if you would turn me to Philippians chapter 3. If you've got your phones, fire them up to lexcity.info. All the information about things happening in our church, all the sermon notes are there. And there's some things today that you're going to want to follow along as we go. So Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to jump into it. Now when I think about being a biker and a motorcycle rider, if I think about what the perfect biker looks like, it looks like this to me. 1969 Easy Riders, right? Big chopper, red, white, and blue on the gas tank. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. That's the iconic look to me. When we think about what the perfect, ideal, religious person looked like, we're going to see today that it actually was Saul. Saul was the ideal picture of what it was. Think about his pedigree. Saul was born Jewish. He was a Roman citizen. He was educated as a Greek he had these convictions of a Pharisee. And in fact, listen how Paul, or Saul, would describe himself. Philippians chapter 3, verse 5. This is what he says about himself. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteous, I obeyed the law without fault. And that last part is amazing to me. Saul says, I, was like, I obeyed the law without fault. There were 613 commandments in the law, and Saul says, I obeyed them all. I don't know about you, there's 10 commandments. I'm not even getting all 10 of them right all the time, right? This is 613. Saul says, man, this is, if you want to talk about a religious person, this is me. This is what I look like. So Saul was a poster boy. So had that question that I gave to you been asked of Saul at this time, why should I let you in? I, I'm sure this is what Saul would have said. Well, God, <laughs> come on now. I know why you should let me in. I, I'm at the temple every time the temple is open. Uh, I, I follow all the requirements of the law. I, I dress like a spiritual person. I talk like a spiritual person. In fact, God, my actions are better than everybody I hang out with. You know, Frank, I'm a lot better than Frank. I, I, I should be there. 
God, you don't understand. I listen to Caleb. I got a Christian bumper sticker on my camel. I mean, look at this is it. Look at my life. I deserve to be in the pearly gates. That would have been Saul's response. Now think about what Saul is saying, if this is really how he views uh, our relationship with God. He's really saying this. He's saying, all that matters is my outward appearance. If I look like a Christian and talk like a Christian and act like a Christian, then I must be a Christian. There's a flaw in that. See, if I said to you today, I'm a motorcycle rider. You say, why is that? Oh, I'm going to tell you. Look, I even wore my Lex City Rider shirt today. I wore my, thank you very much. I wore my riding shoes for you today. Uh, in fact, if I come over here, I mean, I'm telling you, I really am the real deal. Uh, oh, I've got a vest and I've got patches. So that really makes it good. Lex City Rider patches there. Um, I've got gloves, summer gloves and winter gloves. And, and I've got a helmet. And doesn't, so of course I'm a rider. See, here's the problem with this kind of deceptive thought. Begins to say, if I look like it on the outside, then that really must be what's happening on the inside, right? You go to Sturgis. Have you ever been to Sturgis? Everybody looks like a writer. I'm, there's a whole lot of posers at Sturgis, all right? Uh, you may say, well, I'm a writer. Why? Because I have a bike. Well, this must make me a writer. I'm going to tell you, this doesn't make me a writer. What makes me a writer is that I ride. That's what makes the difference. All this other stuff is external. The thing that makes me a rider is the fact that, uh, that I really love to, to ride. Proximity to the spirit of riding is not the same as the possession of the spirit of riding. See the difference? And I start with that because I want to lay that foundation as we jump in today. Because as your pastor, at, as a wonderful church like Lex City and stylistically a church like Lex City, here's my fear. If we're not careful... We confuse proximity with possession. See, you can come every week, and, and you can watch online every week and really enjoy your time. You can sit and watch worship and sit in your chair and, and be inspired by the musicianship and the background stuff can entertain you and you can watch and experience worship and never ever engage in worship yourself. You can come on a Sunday, and because I don't yell and scream at you and hellfire and brimstone, you can confuse if you're not careful well. It's really cool because they bring goats on stage, and now they're riding bikes on stage, and, and have all those things and be entertained and never let the word of God penetrate your soul as God intended it to be. I'm a spectator. I'm not engaging in the process. And my fear is, at a wonderful church like ours, is that you can feel so comfortable and come in every week and leave every week and feel encouraged and thought that was neat and never let the word of God penetrate your heart and soul and create life transformation in you. See, that's, that's Saul's story. Saul did more church than anybody. He was in the temple all the time. I mean, think of Saul. He didn't smoke, didn't drink, didn't chew, didn't go with girls who do. I mean, he is the poster child of what a religious person should be with. In fact, this is crazy about Paul. As he was Saul, he loved God so much that he was going to eliminate anybody that didn't fit into the mode in how he thought a person who followed Jesus or followed God should look like. And so this is the context that we want, that we find in Acts chapter 9. 
He's going to eliminate anybody who doesn't fit with how he thinks a person should be who is a religious person. So in Acts chapter 9, we, we pick up our story. And Saul has gotten the authority from the high priest. It's fascinating. He's going to make an eight or nine day journey with a group of men in order to find these new Christians, these new converts in a city called Damascus. And these new converts were in the synagogues, and it was starting to grow these followers of this person called Jesus. And it was interesting. They called themselves people of the way. And here's what's fascinating. They called themselves the people of the way because they believed there was a new way to God other than simply following the law. Can you begin to see for Saul why this is at attention? So Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested a letter addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for the cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them both men and women back to Jerusalem in chains. Now, when you read that, again, you think, man, Saul, you're a horrible dude. You can't be putting people in prison and taking moms and dads away from their kids. But listen, what got Saul into trouble is a thing that if we're not careful can do the same to us. It's a subtle little deception, right? Where there's enough truth wrapped in a little bit of a lie that it puts us on the wrong roll, on the wrong road. And that's the danger of deception. Saul was absolutely, actually deceived because he really thought he was doing the will of God. This is what God wants of me. This is what God requires of me. And so from his mind, if there are people that are speaking against God, and here's what these new Christians, they were saying that Jesus was the Messiah, that the miracles, that the things that they were seeing that, that was happening, that was happening through the power of Jesus, and Saul would say, well, that's blasphemy. You're not working through the power of Jesus, you're working through the power of Satan himself, right? This is how he was. In fact, Saul's thought was anything that competes with the law is going to be a problem, this idea of works-based religion, because in the Jewish law, the Messiah would only return once the law had been fulfilled and the law was being acted out. And so they were actually keeping the Messiah from returning. Do you see how in his mind he genuinely thought he was doing what was right? But deception had slid in. Saul had good intentions, but he had bad theology. <laughs> and it led to some bad outcomes. This is the danger, I think, of organized religion, right? There's a lot of truth with a little bit of deception rolled in that changes how we view God. So Saul is convinced he's doing God's will. Saul is convinced at this moment he's destined for heaven, right? Because he's on the right road. But go pick it up in verse 3. And as he was approaching Damascus on a mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Now the voice replied, I am Jesus the one who you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Then the men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. And Saul picked himself up off the ground but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus and he remained blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Slide down to verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul and he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and he was baptized. And afterwards he ate some food 
and regained his strength. And Saul places his faith in Jesus as the Messiah, that Jesus as his Savior. And from that moment on, the Lord changed his name from Saul to now we know him as Paul. And I love this, that one of the first acts of obedience from Paul after he places his faith in Christ is to get baptized. Baptism, that outward sign, right, of the inward change that's happened in his life. Now think about this. That is so different than the old Saul. The old Saul would have said the outward appearances is what dictates what happens in. Relationship with Jesus and Christianity says, no, it's just the opposite. The inward change is what matters, and it's manifested itself in outward appearances, but it's what's on the inside that truly matters. It has to begin inside and then plays itself outward versus workspace that says it's outside and pushes itself inward. Do you see the difference that we have? The Bible calls this kind of inform- this transformation calls us to be new creations, right? To be born again. This idea that we've been saved from those things. One of my favorite books out of the 13 that the Apostle Paul wrote was the book of Romans. And when you're reading the book of Romans, it's really fascinating. There's parts of this that you read and it's really, you can just hear it, it's Paul's testimony. He's saying, I want to share with you how I used to think, but how my thinking changed on the road. I, I want to share with you how, how I used to think it was about good works, and now I understand it's about a relationship with Jesus. So let me just show you this. In Romans chapter 3, these are the words of, of Paul. 3 verse 20, 22, he says this, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Think about what a change this has happened. See, the power of the law was simply this. The value is that doesn't give us something that we can keep. The value of the law is it shows us that you are incapable of keeping a righteous standard. The beauty of the law is it says, here's the standard, and you can't make it in and of yourself through your own power. Think about it. That's about the beauty of the Ten Commandments. It's not that we keep all ten perfect, that's why God will love us. No, the Ten Commandments remind us how much we need God. When I look at these ten and say, in and of my own strength, I'm incapable of keeping these things. I need the help of God within my life. He goes on to say this in verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. There's the key. Without keeping the requirements of the law, as we promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by, here it is, placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. Paul says, man, here's what I've learned. And the scales came off my eyes. Man, we're saved. We have a relationship with God through faith in what God has done. Let me try to contrast this for you this morning because I want to flesh this out. And it is so subtle, but friends, it's so profound. Let me give you some contrast. Let me just put these here on the screen for you. See, a works-based salvation says do, right? A faith-based salvation says done. Let me give you another way to say it. This is a big one. Works-based salvation. I obey, therefore I am accepted. Faith-based, I am accepted, therefore I obey. Let that one sink in. I love Jesus, and I follow God, and I strive to keep the concept of the Ten Commandments, the things that God has called me. Why? Because I love God, and he accepted me. I don't do those things so God would accept me. It's because he has that I try to do. Let me give you a few more just to kind of keep working. I'm motivated by guilt, right? This is the challenge. 
Think about your, how does God think of you? Guilt comes in. Or I'm motivated by gratitude, what God has done. Challenge of works-based salvation. Change comes by willpower. I've got to try harder. I've got to do better. It's up to me. And sometimes some of you, you come on a Sunday and the Spirit convicts you of something. You're like, I've got to do better. It's got to be about me. Listen, the difference is faith-based salvation. Change comes from the Spirit's power. The difference is, God, I've, I've struggled here again. I cannot do it on my own. I gotta need your help. Let me give you another. Oh, this is a big one. Workspace salvation has this presupposition that God is disappointed in me. Do you ever feel that way? See, your relationship with God is driven so much by how we're wired, our circumstances, families of origin, your last spiritual, your religious experiences. If we're not careful, this is what we really think. I don't pray to God because when I pray to God, I just feel guilty. Why? Because it's this fundamental thought that God has disappointed in you. Faith-based simply says this, that God loves and accepts me. Works-based, when I pray, most of my prayers are God's self-control. Lord, help me not to sin in this area. God, it's Friday night, I'm out here, help me not to do this, all right? Faith-based is just prayers of praise. God, thank you for your goodness, your provision. (laughs) Works-based, compares to others. How do I know if I'm gonna be good enough to get to heaven? Well, I'm gonna look at my seven best friends. Seven people I hang out with. And if I'm better than the seven, then I think I'm going to be, if I'm in the top three, I've got to feel good about this, right? It's comparison to others. The difference is this, faith-based salvation is personal accountability. God, it isn't about others. This is you and me and our relationship. Next one. Works-based fears punishment. Faith-based anticipates rewards. This is a big one. Works-based, we're positioned in weakness, Right? I'm always going to fail. God, I'm going to disappoint you again. God, I can't do these things. I'm never going to live up to the... It, it's just always weakness. The beauty is this. Faith-based salvation understands that I'm in a position of strength because of relationship with Jesus and the Spirit of God that lives within me. I have power to overcome. I have power to break the cycles of sin. I have power to, to have victory in these areas. Let me give you just a couple more as we go. Last one is simply this. Works-based salvation. Man is searching for God. I'm trying to be good enough to get there. Faith-based salvation that God is searching for man, right? Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this and while we were still sinners, what Christ died for us as we go. Can you see the difference between these two? This is the difference between Saul and Paul. Works-based, trying to earn God's favor or an acceptance of what Jesus has done. So remember the question that I asked at the very start. If you stood before God... God said, why should I let you in? What your response? Depending on what road you're on is how you would answer these two, right? If I'm on the road of Saul, that's by my works, and I'm going to say things like, God, well, you got to let me in. I go to church, I don't know, once every two months. I mean, I'm there. Easter, I'm there every Easter, Lord, you know. I've been baptized. I've been confirmed. I'm really trying to be a good person. Lord, I, I, I give some money to the church and things like that. I grew up in a religious family. You know, my grandma's really a person of faith. Lord, I should probably get in because I'm really the nicest person in my friend group, all right? I mean, Lord, you know I'm trying, right? I have good intentions. I'm doing the best I can. My behavior is there. The challenge with this kind of thinking, isn't it, is that you always live in these moments is enough enough, right? Did I really do enough good to overcome last weekend? Am I, am, I, am I nice enough person to overcome the things that, of me that are really selfish? That was Saul, right? If I could just do these 613 commandments in the law and go to the temple, I'd be okay. That's a faith, that's a works-based 
salvation. We move at the contrast. Here, here's a faith-based salvation response to the same question. The Lord says, why should I allow you into heaven? Here's the answer. You shouldn't. I don't deserve it. I'm sinful and selfish and self-centered. But the good news is, is that Jesus paid the price for my sins on the cross. And so you should let me in, not because of what I have done, but because of what has Jesus has done on my behalf and my faith and my belief that Jesus did that for me. That's Romans 3, 22. For we are made right with God, what? By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true of everyone who believes, no matter who they are. <laughs> That's a powerful truth. No matter who you are. That's why today... I. Again, I'm so grateful that you, you're here at Lect City. I'm so grateful that you're in person, and the many of you that are watching online. And I'm glad you feel comfortable to be here. Every week, it's such a gift and a joy for us to have you. But I never want you to confuse comfort with conviction. And I never want you to confuse proximity with possession. Just because you are around the people of God doesn't mean that you have experienced God. Judas spent a lot of time with Jesus and a lot of time with the disciples, some of those godly people who ever lived, and, G and Judas ended up on the wrong road because proximity doesn't equal possession. And one of the most haunting verses in the scriptures, and I wish it wasn't there because it haunts me, but it's so profound and true, is Matthew chapter 7. It says this, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And we performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me who break God's law. And the haunting truth of that verse is that there are going to be many Saul's who on the judgment day stand before God with good intentions, but we're on the wrong road. I've got people in my life who I care deeply about who are convinced that their relationship with God is based on their ability to do enough good works to earn that. And what breaks my heart is they have the best intentions, but they're missing the truth that's there. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, you will enter into God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide for many who choose that way, but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few will find it. See, it's like when you're going on Route 66, the little exit signs, they're small. And you go from a four-lane highway that's really comfortable and smooth and everything else to a small, narrow road with chuck holes and old, and it's decrepit. Why? It's the way that's narrow that gets you to where you need to go. And so here's the question today. Do you know for sure what road that you're on? Do you have confidence, <laughs> if you were asked that question, what you would say, uh, 1 John 5.13 says this, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The great part is we can know with, with great confidence that we have eternal life. Why? It's through placing your faith 
in Jesus. And as I thought about this series, putting it together, I, I thought about this day and this moment with you because it is so important. One of the things that really sticks out to me when I was a youth pastor and Pastor Zach and I were youth pastors together, our senior pastor's wife shared her testimony. And her testimony was this. I grew up in a Christian home. I married a pastor. I'm in church every week. And on a moment like this this morning, for some reason, the Spirit of God opened my eyes to realize that the thing that I had been trusting to get to heaven was being a pastor's wife and doing all the right things. And because I was born in a Christian family, I thought that was it. And I realized that, listen, I was trusting in the works of Saul rather than the faith of Paul. And on a Sunday morning, she comes down to the altar and gives her life to Christ. You talk about a powerful moment when a senior pastor's wife comes down. Why? She had the humility and the integrity to say in my heart of hearts, I was on the wrong road. I thought I was. I had good intentions, but I missed it. So I say to you today, do you know for sure what road you're on. If not, today's the day. I encourage you to make that right with the Lord. So let me just, as we close our time, if you would, just all around the room, could you just bow your heads with me and just in the stillness of this moment, I'd love to just give you some time with you and the Lord. If you're a regular church-going person who's spiritual by nature and you've been around all this, question is today, are you trusting in that ritualistic religion or relationship with Jesus? If that's you today and you're saying, I I need to just make that right and know for sure, then I would encourage you in just a moment, I'm going to just share a prayer. If you've been around, I've shared it with you many times, but today I want you to plant that flag in the ground and say, God, on this day, I know that I'm putting my faith in you. And maybe you're here new and you've never really thought about that question. How do I know where I'll spend eternity? How do I think about what does it take to please God? I just thought I had to try a little harder and the beauty is today, it's the most freeing thing to say, it's not about doing, it's about what has been done for you. And if you'd like to have that relationship with the Lord, as I pray this morning, I should encourage you in the stillness of the moment, the quietness of this, just between you and the Lord, just Say these words back to the Lord. It's not a magical prayer. These aren't the words that save you. It's the attitude of your heart that just acknowledges, God, I need you. I need your forgiveness. And I'm trusting in you for that salvation. Let's just pray together wherever you are today. If that's you, just simply say something like this back to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I realize that I'm a sinner. God, I realize that my sin has separated me from you. And God, today, I realize that my good works, that my good intentions, that me trying to please you by actions is not what pleases you. God, today, I'm trusting of what Jesus did for me on the cross. That Jesus died to pay the penalty for my sin. And so, Lord, today I'm placing my faith and my trust in you alone for the forgiveness for my sins and for the free gift of eternal life. 
in Jesus' name. And just as our heads are bowed here in this moment, part is I just kind of want to help you solidify your decision. So today, if you made that decision for the very first time or really realize I've been trusted in something different and today I just made it clear with the Lord, I'd love just to remember and pray for you this week. And if that's you today, would you be willing just to put your hand up and put it down just that I could see this morning? And Amen, thank you there. Amen today. Father, today we thank you for those in person and those online that God just made that decision and that understanding. Father, I thank you for our relationship with you. I thank you in my life that I don't have to try and be a better person and try to follow all the things to gain your favor. God, that I can do that out of a response for what you have done for me. And so, Lord, today many of us have placed our faith in you. And may we be reminded today that we choose to live a life of righteousness. We choose to live sacrificially and to give sacrificially. And we choose to care for people and forgive and to be kind because of what you have done for us. It's a response out of love for the love you've shown us. And so, Lord, for those of us that have that relationship with you, may we live in confidence, in joy, in victory because of what you have done for us on the cross. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time. In your name we pray, amen.